Hi, I'm Sarah Pascoe, and you're listening to the Henley Festival Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Henley Festival Podcast. Exclusive interviews from acts and artists who appeared at the festival in 2017. Coming up, we'll be hearing more from comedian Sarah Pascoe sharing her thoughts on weeing ladybirds. We'll also have the amazing story of singer-songwriter Edgar Dale, a woman called Cecil, and soul legend Gino Washington will reveal how he persuaded a future superstar to take up singing. Very good looking guy. He was a magnet for the girls. And all these girls are coming up to him, and he's telling them to go away because he's with his mates, and he's talking about football, you know what I mean? Sarah Pascoe is becoming a star. You can't help but think that in 20 years' time, she's going to be one of those entertainers referred to as a national treasure. She's clever, original, and naturally very funny. You'll recognise her from the telly, but you also may recognise her from Henley. She's been here before, as you'll find out, albeit looking a bit different. Before you hear the interview, it's probably best if I give you a bit of a glossary of terms so you can keep up. For future reference, Steve Davis is one of the finest snooker players the world has seen. Five Star were a band who briefly flourished in the 1980s. Stephen K. Amos is a comedian who features in a future Henley Festival podcast. RuPaul is a celebrity drag queen. And Peter Andre is an award-winning nuclear physicist. Yes, the interview does cover a lot of ground. Your style, I'd say... Of course, it's very funny, but there's an element of confessional to it as well. And I was looking at your Twitter feed earlier today, and I thought there was one particular tweet that really stood out as summing up those things for me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass it to you now. Could you read it out for me? Ah, it says, "A ladybird just did a wee on me." Yes, which, yeah. which was a wonderful tweet. Can you tell me about that story? I tweet so rarely, anyway. Like if you look at my Twitter, you'll see I tweet maybe once every three months. Because I always think, well, what will I say or who cares? <laughs> but it was, it was kind of me shouting to myself in my house as a ladybird had weed on me. Like, it just landed on me and then this little drop of water was left when it flew away. And so that's what I think Twitter is for, like shouting at strangers, like out the window, like, a ladybird just did a wee on me! <laughs> but apparently it's not a wee, it's a fear response. So the ladybird was scared of me. So the reactions, you got yeah. some good reactions yeah, from Yeah, from actual ecologists going, well, it's not wee, but... Stop scaring ladybirds. <laughs> yeah. You're here at Henley Festival mm-hmm. today. Do you have to do any kind of special thinking out in preparation for festivals in general? Um, you do. The gigs are always entirely different. Obviously, the audience is different, very different to the people who just generally come to a stand-up show. I was actually in Wargrave the other day, which is just around the corner, um, doing a gig, and so I kind of am familiar with this part of the world. But I was thinking I might do a drinking game during my show yeah. because um, the show... I mean, it's not a very political show, but there'll be a, a kind of few things that might, uh, this audience might be much more right, to the right than my usual crowd. And I thought we could play a drinking game when I say something that maybe means they're not quite my demographic. <laughs> and then we could all enjoy <laughs> that moment. And I'll take a sip and they'll take a sip and we'll all know. <laughs> so by the end yeah. of the gig? We'll all be, ha- we'll all be hammered. No, oh, we might. We'll all have had about four drinks, four sips of our drink. We'll have finished a drink. So you've yeah. been to Henley before, you've certainly been to Wargrave, the Jewel yeah. of the South before, but well, what about Henley? I've worked here before. Oh. I worked here, I did street theatre, I was all painted gold, running around. Because <laughs> you used to work as a tour guide yes. in London as well, you've yeah. done a variety of jobs. Yeah, if, like lots of out-of-work actors, I've done lots of jobs. So if yeah. you were going to give any advice to the tour guides of Henley, what would you say to a tour guide? What have they got to do to keep people interested? Oh, I guess... Um, never well they'll know this already you never talk about anything you can't see people don't like if you can't say there it is or that's where he was or that's where she did that they just it doesn't mean anything so there's no use kind of going actually it's really interesting about our royal family because they're they're just like so like point at a thing and go it's that 
Um, <laughs> otherwise, I guess, yeah, there's lots of um, kind of old hacky jokes that you end up inheriting from the tall guys before you that you Go think, on. well, you think, oh, no one will ever laugh at it. And then they do. And you're like, oh, God. So, for instance, and I said, this is one that would work for here. There's a, jo <laughs> there's a joke in London where you turn to the, what, one of the river boats or the river restaurants and you'll say, oh, that's the, the Admiral there. It's a restaurant. And it's actually the only place in London you can get drunk on water. And they go, ha, 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 ha. I think, really? <laughs> they do. <laughs> they really laugh. <laughs> I yeah. really hope you try that one tonight. No. <laughs> no. I'm past oh, it now. I'm past it now. If it's really going badly, that's how you'll know. Okay. I'll be like, Guys, did you hear the one about the... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Total subject change yeah. now. You come or you, you grew up in Romford, yeah. I believe, home of Steve Davis, as everyone yeah, would know. Yeah, Steve and Davis, who I'm working with. I'm doing Would I Lie to You with him in two weeks. And I've worked <sighs> with him. I did um, the one show with him and I did, he did a sitcom called Todd Margaret. He was in the first series of that, so I've worked with him three times. A very funny man. Really funny, really lovely. And he gave me his chalk the second time I met him when he found out about Romford. That's not a euphemism, that's a straightforward fact. No, it's a so euphemism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, just checking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's just a polite way. It's how you say it with a snooker player. And, and I was speaking to Stephen K. Amos the oh, other yes, day, yeah. name dropping yes, like yeah. I do. He's a big fan of Five Star, also from Romford. It I've seems never to me. I've never heard of Five Star. What's oh, that? Oh, you're too young. No, oh, is it how music, embarrassing. Is it? They are, yeah. Is it music? I don't um, know who that is. Oh, goodness me. That, that's made me do you feel know who incredibly that is? old. No, oh, no one knows who that no. is. When was that then? Seventies. Oh, how dare you! It was eighties. <laughs> oh, okay. Goodness me, I might oh, walk okay. out. I, know, I don't. I don't like music or listen to music, so that's why I'm. I'm out of touch. Okay. Yes. Yeah, anyway, so I was going to say, what was yeah. it like as a place to grow up in? Um, well, I was there from eleven. I was in Dagenham before that. I think Romford is one of those places that when I go back there, there's a lot of. I think like lots of. Lots of places in the country, there are places that are kind of condensed in terms of the people and the culture and the humour. And Essex is like that, just like Liverpool is like that, Manchester is like that, um, Newcastle is like that. And it's really great when you go there. And so it does have a kind of culture of its own. Um, I'm watching a lot of Love Island at the moment. And I always think these people Everyone from Essex, oh, Love Island is so great. It's such a guilty pleasure for lots of people. And I won't be told. <laughs> I won't be told. I'm like, no, it is intelligent. I think they're discussing such huge things in terms of, like, I find it fascinating for gender roles. <laughs> because they're always <laughs> yeah. talking about, have you got the balls to do this? Or she's, anyway, I find it fascinating. But um, always that, all, you can always spot an Essex person straight away. And where would reality TV be without them? You mentioned Love Island. I also mm. was uh, reading an interview with yourself where you said that what makes you laugh, and you said RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, yeah. Tell me, I, I must admit, I, that's passed me by. I'm aware okay. of it. But. Oh, yeah, so, I mean, season nine has just finished. So, ah. if, you, so if you were going to go back on Netflix, you've got okay. a lot. But um, it was really fascinating. For ages, people were saying to me, you would like it. And because it was men dressing up as women, I just had made such a previous judgment on it that... I've, I've kind of thought what judgment well because I get men dressing up as women like <laughs> I just and also because it's the what they perceive womanhood to be for me seemed to very like they're all covered in glitter and it's a very anyway and then I realised that's the point drag isn't about there it's about femininity as a construct okay. it's, it's about that as an art form and so when you start watching it and also I realise there's, there's very little space in mainstream culture to talk about masculinity and these men majority of whom are gay there's a couple of trans women, which is an interesting thing because some people in drag don't think that, that trans women should be able to do it and vice versa. Essentially, they all have dad issues. A lot of them were rejected by their families coming out. A lot of them had a hard time at school and that is dealt with. That's what they talk about sometimes. And Rue is very, very much about self-love and self-forgiveness and as well as self-expression. So it's really, really fascinating. And my theory on it is, because I've got a WhatsApp group with 20 of my friends where we talk about RuPaul's Drag Race. And, um, yeah, is that no, true? Yes, it's true. And, and, also, and, can you, I, and I, I talked about it on 8 out of 10 cats, and then I had 
millions of teenage girls asking me if they could be in the WhatsApp group. <laughs> and I think the reason is we sit there, we, we slag off what these men are wearing dressed up as women. And I think it's because we can't do that about women anymore. I would really? never watch a woman go past and go, oh my God, why is she wearing those heels with that? Whereas when it's a man dressed up as a woman, I'm like, such okay. a little bitch. Like, oh, <laughs> uh, he looks like this and she did it and oh, that is just tacky. And I think it might be that as well. Finally, mm. let's imagine you're putting the uh, the lineup together for Henny Festival 2018. Oh, yeah. Who would be, let's start with music, who would be your dream band, your dream act to put on here? Take that, Peter Andre. <laughs> uh, together? Uh, no, <laughs> separate. <laughs> um, the, the Blue. Oh, wow. <laughs> I like boy bands. Um, no wonder um, you didn't know who Five Star no, were. <laughs> I didn't. Um, and then maybe some Girls Aloud. Well, yep, yeah, okay, that would be brilliant. And Rihanna <laughs> and, and Cheryl Cole, and just as Girls Aloud and, and Solo. Um, and both? <laughs> yes. Who would top the bill? That would be awkward. Um, oh. How would you deal with that? Peter Andre. <laughs> Let's give him a confidence boost. So after he's played Mysterious Girl twice, what yes. does he do? Mysterious Girl Encore. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much thank indeed. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is Stephen K. Amos, and you're listening to the Henley Festival Podcast. Juno Washington came to the UK in the 60s. He was a GI with the US Air Force. His time coincided with a music boom, and he was in a position to take maximum advantage. He told people that his sister was in Martha and the Vandellas and his auntie was Dean of Washington. Both stories were untrue, but nobody could deny that he was blessed with a knockout voice and had stage presence to burn. His live act with the Ram Jam Band became the must-see sensation for young soul and R&B-loving Brits, and he's still playing now, hence his appearance at the Henley Festival. Gino's legend was cemented in the 80s when Dex's Midnight Runners wrote a song about him, and that's not the only time he's influenced the UK musical landscape. If it wasn't for him, the Stone Roses and the Madchester music scene may never have happened, as we find out in this interview. But I started by asking Gino what it was like to be a GI in 1960s Britain. Completely, totally different. Uh, that's why I liked it, you know, as, uh, I felt like Robinson and Crusoe <laughs> on an island with the natives and joining in with the natives and, uh, being accepted, you know, uh, it was just so different, you know what I mean? Uh, you have cars that out of the side of the car, light would come out of the side of the car to make you turn that way. And it was foggy like the old movies, the vampire movies, uh, castles, <laughs> you know. Uh, I went to see the Tower of London. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it was just a great, because uh, my hobby was studying the Second World War. So... I'm already on the base, and I went to a lot of uh, places that was uh, happening in the war that I read about and everything. Uh, uh, it suited me down to the ground, you know what I mean? Uh, it's just completely different. And uh, uh, it was a, 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 a difference that I liked. Now, the incident that, I suppose, really sealed your place in British pop history would have been back in the early 80s when a band called Dexys Midnight Runners released a song called Gino, and it was all about you. When did you first hear about that? What kind of impact did it have on your career? Uh, 
I was uh, in America. Uh, uh, the, beach, the Beach Boys asked me to come to America. And uh, their producer would also produce me. So I, so I was in America, and they told me to come over for two months, and I ended up being there two years and a half, man, because they got the fighting, and the Beach Boys broke up and had different managers and all that. So to answer you the question, uh, all the newspapers start calling me, and they found me in Los Angeles, and say, what do you think of this group called Dexter's Midnight Runners writing a song about you, and it's called Gina. I mean, I was laughing my head off. You know, I, I they must be drunk. You know, they they, they probably had a, a, a joke and uh, uh, got drunk and uh, done something like that. He said, it looks like it's going to be number one, you know, and then they called me back uh, the next week and says, it's number one. How do you feel about Dexter's Midnight Runners right now about you? I said, I think I'll sue those boys for making me look too good. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. It was great. It was just nice to be thought of and uh, have a influence on his life to to achieve something musically. Uh, I, I felt very good about that. You know, and uh, uh, I stayed away from England for a year to let that Gino record uh, without interfering. And then I came back a year later uh, to start doing my thing, you know what I mean, uh, and back with soul. And you also had an impact on another huge British band, the Stone Roses. Their lead singer, Ian Brown, tells a story that basically, if it wasn't for you persuading him, he never would have been a lead singer. Tell me a bit about that. That is true. You know, uh, uh, he was a a very good-looking guy. He was a magnet for the girls. And all these girls are coming up to him, and he's telling them to go away because he's with his mates, and he's talking about football, you know what I mean? So, uh, what did you say to him? I went up to him and I said, uh, uh, "Do you you smoke? You know, some reefer?" He says, "No, but I got some friends who do." So I said, "Can you do me a favor?" And I told him who I was. He said, "Are oh, you? You Gina Washington? Because we just got through playing Manchester University, and this was after at a party." Somebody threw a party and took me and the band down there. So he uh, called his friend. He brought a joint. I smoked it. And it's some good stuff, too. (laughs) Just right for a black man. (laughs) So I said, I'm not a hustler. I'll do you a favor. I says, look, uh, man, girls, they flocking to you and you really don't care. Uh, uh, can you sing? Because if you sing, man, with your looks, uh, you get all the girls you want. He says, no, I don't sing. I says, oh. Uh, I said, uh, can you write songs? 
He says, no, I don't write no songs. I says, can you write poetry? He said, yeah, when, when I was in school, wrote some, and teacher thought it was quite good. Said I had promises. I says, well, writing poems and writing songs is only one inch away, only one inch away. That's where the par is. So you already got that. All you have to do is get with a guitar, get with a band, and put these words to music and you into songwriting. I think you will enjoy that. And I said, when you start, you're going to be terrible. But everybody is terrible when they start something new. You have to put some time in it and enjoy it. If you get to enjoy it, you will improve very quickly and you will love doing it. And uh, start singing. And then you can sing your own song. You, you don't need uh, to depend on a singer. And when did he realize that they'd actually made it? I came back a year later and they told me he was so huge. Him and his friend Stone Roses was so big, you know what I mean? And uh, they, they told me they'd seen magazines, articles from his interviews. He said, Chino Washington got me started in this. <laughs> so he remembered. You know, he did do what I told him to do. My name's uh, Nick Grimsh, um, Russell Kane, and you're listening to the Henley Festival podcast. Monty! Ed Goodale is a young singer-songwriter with great material, and his brother Ollie often joins him on stage. So far, so straightforward. But Ed has Asperger's. This means that festivals aren't necessarily straightforward for him. In this interview, we hear from Ed and Ollie, and there's also an accidental appearance by their father, Simon. And I challenge any parent to listen to what his dad says without getting a little choked up. One bad thing is uh, crowds for me, so... uh... Festivals are quite hard sometimes, but it's festivals and uh, sometimes loud, n- <laughs> loud noises. So, uh, yeah. But um, yeah. and it really informs your music, I suppose, Asperger's. It does, because I, I, I kind of write, write about my interpretations of life, like um, everything I've seen and uh, done or witnessed. I, I tend to try and get it in a in a song or in our set any anyhow don't we <laughs> and now Ed you're the guitarist Ollie you play uh, percussion uh, yeah. the, the, I'm going to pronounce it correctly Cajon Cajon thank goodness I said it correctly uh, tell us about your role in the band and what it's like playing with your brother well it's uh, it's a lot easier playing with with your brother because you're around each other a lot and you can practice near enough when you want as long as you're both home with Ed's Asperger's does that make your role in the band even more important you someone to lean on occasionally or anything like that I think it's very important because uh, obviously with Ed's Asperger's syndrome it's always nice to uh, play alongside him and obviously we have a good connection together obviously because we're brothers and it's it's fun that we uh, we get around a lot of places together and we have a laugh along the way. So. And so with Ed's songwriting, you're, are you the first person who plays these songs to you? Are you like, the litmus test? Are you, are you the person who kind of says yes or no? Well, apart from Dad, because uh, <laughs> Ed's like, what do you think of this, Dad? Or what do you think of this, Mum? And I'm there like... Uh, all right, he'll, he'll, he'll talk to me about it somewhere because I'm the one that has to play it. But, <laughs> but no, it's... Uh, 
I normally just listen to it, I'm thinking of a few ideas and then we crack on and start doing it together. So you trust your parents' judgments and songs? Because often when you're kids, the last thing you want is your parents to like the stuff you like, but that maybe, is that different in your household? Uh, yes. And you're not kids, obviously, but you know, when you're, when you're younger. The... I mean, we always try and change the sets around and stuff like that, because I know they hear it 24-7. If, if we're not playing it live, we're... we're we're rehearsing it, and if we're not rehearsing it, we're playing it live, so they're always, always listening to it. So we try and keep it um, so they're enjoying it as well. And <laughs> you know have you brought them here to the festival? They are. Dad's coming with two pints for us now, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty. You know, that's a pretty sweet deal. They get to come to Henley Festival as well, so they do all right out of it. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Oh, thank you for my. Uh, uh, so, uh, so here it turns up is uh, his father. Father manager, Father manager, what's your name, sir? Oh, I'm Simon, and uh, it's a hot day, so they need some cold beer. So, uh, <laughs> how proud are you of your sons? Tremendously, it, it, it's great. Ed, Ed, Ed stepped over a line when he found his music, and uh, we've got a family business because we've got merch mum with us as well. <laughs> and not only my dad, I'm driver, kicking boy, sound tech, guitar engineer, and everything. But it's, it's great fun because there's not many families who could travel. UK and Europe uh, as a family with these two at 18 and 20 so we, ha we have a great laugh and this is just wonderful it was Glastonbury the other week and today it's by the river in Henley it's absolutely fantastic are you a good watcher do you get nervous I pace I can never sit when I'm watching uh, Ed quite likes me to be visible so I'm always sort of giving a little wave and a nod etc but I can't uh, I can't watch music seated I have to be pacing around and I hide so they have to keep looking for me, etc. <laughs> <laughs> and if there were any other parents listening today who do have children who have Asperger's, what would you say to them? We've done quite a lot with the National Autistic Society and I would just say to any parent is never give up. There is something out there. They all have a gift of some sort. Ed has just announced his new album, launched his new album, the gift because he found music but we have met poets we've met comedians we've met actors we've met artists etc etc always give them the chance and if they go for something give them every chance to pursue it and and they cross a line they really do i think the one word is never give up and network with other people who are going through the same thing hi this is melanie c and you're listening to the henley festival podcast Cecil is a singer-songwriter from Newbury on the cusp of making it really big. Cecil is a she, not a he, and between you and me, Cecil isn't her real name. I know what it is, but I'm sworn to secrecy. Her name is not Kate Bush either, but as you'll learn, if you make that mistake, you could easily be forgiven. So my music, um, it's very chilled out, quite stripped back. Um, it's going to be quite an acoustic night tonight, so it's going to be pretty chilled out. Um, but I am doing, at the moment, a lot more upbeat stuff. Um, so the album that's coming out next year, it's going to be a lot more upbeat, a lot more modern sounds in there. But at the moment, it's, it's going to be it's quite acoustic. Uh, you've got an EP out at the moment called The Silly Business EP. It's got four tracks on there. I listened to the first one, it's called Haunt, and I could just imagine Kate Bush singing that. Who would you liken your music to, anyone in particular? Your influences are Coldplay, Lana Del Rey and Florence and the Machine, but would you say you sound at all like that? Who do you think you sound a bit like? Well... If anyone. I mean, I don't... It's really hard, isn't it? Because mm. you want to sound like yourself, don't you? You want to be you as an artist, but I do always get it's the Kate Bush thing, like you just yeah. said earlier. 
wherever I go. And do you know what? I don't see it, but I, I think what an incredible compliment it is to have that. Kate Bushes. Oh. <laughs> you don't throw that one around. No, but it? I just, it's just like, I can't even live up to her. She's just amazing. Um, but yeah, no, a lot of time, a lot of the times when I do gigs, I, people do come up to me and say, gosh, you've got a bit of a Kate Bush, Kate oh, Bush really? vibe. Okay. Yeah. Now, you started singing at the age of five, yes. I believe. I, I know a lot of kids start singing yeah. around that age. But when did you realise that you were any good? Gosh, um, I think when I started having, having singing lessons and then you realise, gosh, you know what? This is actually okay. And I sound quite good. Because uh, when you listen back to yourself and recordings and stuff, you know, you, you do listen and you're like, you know, I, I, I can do this. And I think that's where it all just sort of started. And I just keep carrying on and doing my vocal exercises and yeah. And you started playing piano from the age of 13. Was that really just so you could write songs to accompany yourself? What? That's quite a late age to start. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I always say that. It's, I really wish I started earlier, like at seven, because I think I'd be a whiz on the piano now. <laughs> so I think I lost a lot of years um, on the piano. But yeah, I started at 13. I basically, because at the time of 13, that's when I really started writing music. And I wanted to be able to actually be to accompany myself and actually play an instrument and accompany my own music. How's your, I presume, songwriting process has changed since you were 13? Yeah. Or has it? I don't know. Yeah, it, I mean, it's definitely changed because before then I was writing more of poetry. It was more like poetry and then I would change it when I'd get to the piano and put music to it. But now it's, it's, it's quite changed. I, I play the piano now and that's how I get inspired to create lyrics uh, but at the moment it's still you know I think as I'm growing I'm, I'm completely changing because I'm trying to get away from my piano at the moment and because sometimes you have a real sound you have your own sound on the piano and it's hard to get away from that. With the changes in the music business over the years and I imagine when you came into it everything was like this already with streaming and things like that can you make a living out of the music business? It's like a needle in a haystack because so many people now are, you know, want to be a singer or want to be, or even just want to be famous. They're they're, they're just on social media, and and it, there's, it's so easy now to get your stuff out there. And I think it, it's it's much more difficult. But no filters are they used to be? No, and it's kind of like a bittersweet situation because it's so easy now to show yourself to people out on the internet, but you're amongst millions of people so it's it's difficult it's very hard yeah i must ask you the name cecil it is a very curious name how did you get that name i do actually know but i need you to tell people <laughs> so basically um, i named myself after my great great uncle uh, he was a creative writer and his most famous work was uh, his screenplay for the original film great expectations he inspires me as a writer, his success inspires me. I never actually met him, um, but I know this might sound silly, I actually genuinely believe he's my guardian angel. I don't know why, it's just a feeling that I have and that's why I truly believe, yeah, I want to call myself Cecil. I feel like I want to carry it on, yeah. Finally then, thanks for listening and coming up in our next episode you'll be hearing from Stephen K. Amos and Vonda Shepherd. Remember to subscribe and the next offering will be available in a couple of weeks. If you've yet to hear it, why not go back and check out episodes 1, 2 and 3 which feature Melanie C, Russell Kane, Goldie and others. 
Remember to keep an eye on the website henley-festival.co.uk and our social media for details about the 2018 festival and we hope to see you there.